0: Um first of all just let me say you know I don't feel worthy to be up here and presenting God's word to you and like as as uh oh was it I think pastor sherm was up here and he said it's just I'm just regurgitating God's word to you so um and I feel inadequate because you know I don't consider myself a theologian and there's just so much to know about God, therefore, I've quoted a lot of people, and of course, the Bible, you know, which uh, has a lot of truth, and may make up for my errors or my lack of understanding. So, uh, I hope and pray that uh, you guys will show me grace as my my words come out, and and uh, this should only be you know a couple hours long, you know. So, um, no sleeping or and I'll have Nate shoot you with a, a Nerf gun. So, but anyway, um, the title of today's message, this is weird, is What Say Ye, Worldliness or Holiness? And our text for today is 1 John 2, 15-17. If you would stand with me, please, as we read the Holy Scriptures. Again, 1 John 2. 15 through 17. The inerrant word of God says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Maybe may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a merciful God, that you don't give us what we deserve, and you give us the things that we don't deserve as well. We thank you for your works on the cross, the death of Christ, that we may no longer be called strangers, but that we may be called heirs and sons and part of your household. Lord, may we come before you and just open our hearts and our ears to hear your words. May we come before you with contrite and repentful hearts. Cleanse us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first I want to begin with just defining love and the word world. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the word love here, in a ways there's several different loves in the Bible, but this is the agape or agape love. And it means to take pleasure in the thing, to prize it above other things, be willing to abandon it or to do without it. It means to prefer, actively doing what the Lord prefers with him by his power and direction. Or in the terms of earthly pleasures, it could be sensual pleasure, intellectual pleasure, or just as a schoolboy looks for pleasure in a summer vacation, or a small business owner looks for it in retirement, or others by travel or amusements, Novels, alcohol, and the like. So what is the evidence of love? It's shown by our inward thoughts and our outward actions. Oh, how I love thy law, said David. Psalm 119.97 We meditate on the things we love, as William Greenhill, and do not love the world. We spend our money on the things we love most, what is valued, what makes us happy, what makes us sad sometimes. We give time and attention to what we value, don't we? Then the word, the world, I want to define what it's not and then what it is. What it's not, it's not the physical world or the created order, for we know that God, what God made is good. Genesis one thirty-one. We are not to worship the physical things of this world, nor desire them more than God and His Holy Scriptures. Psalm 1910 says, to be more desired than gold, and yea, much fine gold. But what about the sun, the ocean, the beach, vacations, hiking? You know, we all love those, I'm sure. Yes, we can enjoy these. They are nature's physical beauties that still reflect God's glory and demand His praise, but we must not desire them more than Him, or they become idols. So what it's not, it's not the world of humanity, since we know that God loves humanity, the world, by sending His Son for propitiation for our sins. John 3.16. Most people probably know that verse. For God so loved the world. God would not have commanded us to hate humanity. And what it is, it's the ways of the world, it's ideologies, it's belief systems, complex world religions, philosophies, political theories, unbiblical worldviews. It's everything that is against Christ. John fifteen eighteen says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. It's the world of the wicked and corrupt that hates Christ. I want us to think about the ways that these these ideologies or the ways the world, the world views, secular worldviews come to us. And what are the, the vehicles? You know, how are we influenced? We must we must be very careful of this and understand this because it's through books and movies and television and music, films, basically anything of written word, speech or visual media. Is with these vehicles we must be very, very discerning. What it is, it's the temporary things of this world. Houses, cars, relationships, vocation, money. Many of the things that pass away that are temporary. In verse 15, the second part, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We must understand we cannot be a friend of Christ and a friend of the world at the same time. Luke 16, 13, Matthew 6, 24, No servant can serve two masters, for either he shall hate the one and love the other, or else he shall lean to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. I love the quote of Matthew Henry. He says, The more the love of the world prevails... The more the love of God decays, you see, we're either moving either moving toward God or away from God, or toward the world. Look, James four four says, "Ye adulterous people, know you not that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God." Miss, this is serious. It's in, you don't want to be an enemy. What does God do with enemies? John fifteen six says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So here's a good clue or evidence for loving the world the quote uh, from William Greenham. A man loves the world when he laments or mourns over the things that are taken from him. Or that he cannot obtain or have. I know how many times in my own life there's certain things I, I want. And it's just, you, you set these goals and have long-term goals for your family. And this takes, you know, sometimes you just don't get them and they afflict you. You know, there's certain things in, in relationships, or certain people, you know, that something happens and it, it afflicts you. It afflicts you. and you, you know, There's mourning and, you know, There's hurt. But how greatly are they afflicted when they lose outward things, such as a job, relation, credit, profit, honors, pleasures, and estates. We understand when the loss of these things afflicts us, it's a warning sign that we are leaning toward the world. Moving on to verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Here, Paul shows us a brief, brief explanation of the pursuits and thoughts of men who live for the world. Lust of the flesh means the whole corrupt nature of man, to make provision for the flesh as to its lusts or to fulfill its lusts. The flesh is intent only on its own advantages. What can I gain? What can I gain from this friendship? What can I gain from this marriage? How can she or he make me happy? The newlyweds, soon to be. And those who have been married for a long time, I know I struggle with that. How can this food, this novel, this show, this person, this sporting event, this vacation, bring me joy? How can it make me feel better or fulfill me? You know, every time you give in to f- and fulfill the lust of the flesh, it makes it that much easier to give in to the next time, and the next time, and the next. It's a downward spiral into deeper lusts of our flesh and what this world has to offer. It enslaves us. Laziness brings forth more laziness. Gluttony brings forth more gluttony. Drunkenness brings forth more gluttonous. Children, the small, subtle sins, transgressions, lead to bigger sins. You think no one knows when you listen to that music that your parents said not to? You think sneaking the extra cookie doesn't matter? Oh, you are just fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Kill those sins, little ones. Kill the lust before they kill you. Do you remember what Pastor Sherm taught us from Second Peter 1.6? It was the third matter of Christian maturity, self-control, or temperance. It's about our self being under his control, under God's control. That's when we see us moving from selfishness to selflessness. All of our lust, our longings, our desires need to be under his control. And then we move back to verse 5. It says, we need to give it all diligence. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard because our hearts and minds are polluted due to the fall. than lust of the eyes. Many times it's our eyes that lead to the lust of the flesh. It's through our eyes that an appetite for the world may be inflamed. Think about the manifestation, or the process of sin, for how it originates until it becomes an action, or becomes full strength. John Flavel in Keeping the Heart explains First, there's an irritation of the object, or an irritation of, of that lust. Where that power it has to provoke our corrupt nature, which is either done by the real presence of the object, or held out in the imagination before the soul. This follows the emotion of the appetite, or lust of the flesh, which is provoked by the fancy representing it as a sensual good. Then, there is consultation in the mind about the best means of accomplishing it. Next, follows the election, or the choice of will that we make. is the decision. And lastly, desire or full engagement of the will to do it. So we look at what happened to King David and how he followed his eyes to adultery. Look at the consequences. Thus, the eyes lead to covetousness, greed, adultery, murder. Pastor Matt once said that the eye is the vehicle for perception. And when we look to Christ, we will see the need for him, his patience, his forbearance, his comfort, his peace, his faithfulness and goodness. When we look to the world to obtain any of these, our view is clouded, and we cannot see clearly the need for Christ. But we look to the world to fulfill us. It's here many strong have fallen, David, a man after God's own heart, and Solomon, the wisest of all. It's here families are separated and legacies wiped away. See, too many men fall and ruin families. Shepherds and ministries and churches destroyed. Men, you must guard your eyes. Beloved, guard your hearts. Then the boastful pride of life... The original fall of man is due to pride. It is pride that destroys God's order and creates chaos. John MacArthur comments, The devil plays on the corruptibility of the fallen human heart to achieve the maximum impact for evil and chaos in the world. John Flavel writes, Pride is the source of irregular and sinful passions. You see, God has set up a wall of protection for us, just as he did for Adam and Eve, commanding them, "You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, from it, you will certainly die." Genesis two sixteen to seventeen. They had the entire garden, and <laughs> we couldn't even imagine what that's like, with no thorns or wasps, <laughs> you know, weeds. They had the entire garden to enjoy and sustain them, but the serpent deceives them with his lies. Children, I once heard a story about a child which had a beautiful play area. In this play area, there were swings, not those little short ones, but the long ones, you know, you get nice big strides on. You know, a deep sandbox and a big slide, plush green grass all around. Well, the father had built a wall around the property and told the child to stay on this side of the wall. The child was satisfied for a while, but began to think about what was on the other side, because it was too tall to see over. His curiosity got him. So eventually a child went to the wall and began to jump to see over it. You know, He just couldn't. It was too tall. He's too short. Or he'd catch up in us a little glimpse of it or something. He wanted more. But the desire for what was on the other side became stronger, and then he forgot, or she forgot, what the father said. The child then found a way to climb on the wall and walk along top of it. Kind of like balancing, you know. I don't know how thick it was. but So I won't tell you what happened to the child, but you can finish the story, but you kind of guess, probably guessed that he or she fell onto the wrong side. The consequences from there, I don't know. He broken arm. Wolves. I don't know. But anyway. You see, children, the father built the wall for protection and gave the child everything that was needed. But the pride and sinful passions within just had to see what was on the other side. And an obedient child would remain content with what the father instructed, because the child trusts and loves the father, it would never want to disobey him. Because of the fall of man, we have a rebelliousness towards authority. Our authorities you know children, if you don't understand that word authorities would be our father and mother, our grandparents, our pastor, police, government officials. No comment. But we have authority figures in our lives. But a simple example is just look how easy it is to test the limits of the speed limit. I figure I get some laughs. Because that's, you know, it's, it's something, it's just how fast can I go before there's consequences? That's an easy thing. and I'm guilty of it. Look at the TV shows. How many times police are portrayed as bad and the bad guy is good. It feeds our rebellious hearts. Look how the sitcoms make the wife the head of the home and then, and then make the man a bumbling idiot. That despises his wife. And he shows his rebellion toward authority by just being dishonorable to his boss. This makes me think of Homer Simpson. The children, you know, like Bart Simpson, are disrespectful to all authority. Parents, teachers, elderly... The like. But you see how these, these vehicles, this information, this influences are coming into us through these type of things. We must understand that. But the problem is we forget just like the child forgot what his father said about staying on the other side of the wall. We forget that our heart is wicked and that our father in heaven has given us everything we, will, we have and will need. But pride corrupts our reasoning and we continue to go to the wall to see what's on the other side. We must always be on guard of our pride, especially in times of prosperity. Because it is here, in this prideful state, that we forget that the Lord gives us all things and can take away all things according to his good pleasure. But the good news is that we are not slaves to the sin of pride or to the diabolical corrupt world system. Listen to Romans 6, 5 14. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death is no longer a master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin for all, once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but give yourselves to God as they that are alive from the dead and give your members as weapons of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Amen. Good news. Verse 17, the first part. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. There is nothing in the world that is not fading. It is of temporary value, therefore, not valuable to us. Why let ourselves place hope or confidence in money, jobs, and labors? Calvin comments. What is most precious in the world and deemed especially desirable is nothing but a shadowy phantom. Beloved, we will never be satisfied with earthly things. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He that loves silver shall never be satisfied with silver. They all have a crack in them. They all have a curse, leaving us craving for more. It makes little sense for the believer to crave worldly things, since they will not endure They are but temporary things, always fading away. And this last part is verse 17. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The will of God is doing what he commands us to do. And those who follow God's will abide as his people forever. Matthew seven, twenty one, not everyone who says, remember this word, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of God, of my Father who is in heaven, will enter. Here the, the will of God we're talking about is God's will of command. Okay, it's it's not his sovereign will, which is a whole separate subject. So look at these following verses for just having the right context or understanding of this, for God's will of command. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Romans 12.1 Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God is obedience to his commands. Now, put a, a little uh, triangle shaped thing there in your bulletin if you happen to have that. I was going to discuss that. Um, this was adapted from Wilhelmus Brekel, a Dutch reformist, and explains. Um, I want to say almost the steps to holiness, but I don't really like that. I'll just go through it. So, yeah, here's what we're looking at here, if you didn't have one or didn't know what it looks like. Um, so, the foundation, what we needed to understand is if you see at the bottom of, your, of the, the triangle there, it's the foundation, obviously, it's the lowest point here. But the foundation of this obedience consists of man's knowledge, or uh, sorry. Moved on too fast. The foundation of this obedience is the character of God. His being demands man's subjection to honor and serve him truly, to devote his entire existence to God. It's knowing God, his character. It's the basis for man's obedience. Then moving up, the essence or the core. The essence or core of this obedience consists of man's knowledge or recognition of this, of the foundation. Okay. In the heart for, heartfelt endorsement of this binding obligation, living holy for God at all times and all things. This is best understood as the internal resolve that we have to live a life glorifying the God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 And whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The third part, moving up. The regulating principle or standard for obedience to God's will is the revelation of the content of His will in Scripture. This is one of the biggest problems we have in society or culture today. We rely on human standards to make up their own rules and laws. Humanism. It's not left up to man to determine the duties he owes to God. His word reveals to us, God's standard for holiness. Then, lastly, the practical manifestation. Our children, this is the fruit. The doing. The practical, practical manifestation of obedience is the active agreement, it's the agreement we have, with an execution of the will of God. James one twenty two, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. In other words, this is doing his word, or it's the external evidence of doing his will. It's the fruit that is seen in your life. Doing God's will is living a holy, a holy life which is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. It's exactly what it says, doing the will of God. Not talking about it like the Pharisees, but doing what he says. 1 John 2, 4-6 says, He that saith, I know him, and keeps not his commandments. i start that again. He that says, I know him, that knows the Lord, that knows God, and keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But he that keeps his word, in him is the love of God, perfect indeed. Hereby we know that we are in him. It's our assurance. He that says, saith, he remains in me, ought even so to walk as he hath walked. We walk as Christ walked, we conform to his image. Doing God's will is the fruit that is seen in your daily walk in holiness. Look again at Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is the spiritual service of worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So present your bodies, your ears, your mouth, your stomach, your hands, your feet, your hair, your mind, as a living sacrifice. We are to give up or sacrifice our wants and our fleshly desires and no longer walk in the darkness. 1 John 1, 6-7 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son cleanses us from all sin. Beloved, we should not hunger and thirst for the dead things of this world. We are to be conformed to his image, and not movie stars, the rich and the lavish. Children, what posters are you hanging on your walls? Is it of the world? Or is it going to be of of eternal things? Not things that fade away. God did not hang a Son upon the cross so that we may live like those that hate Him. He didn't send the Holy Ghost to up our affections for sensuality, materialism, self-gratification. He didn't open our ears that we may hear lies of blasphemous, ungodly words and music. He didn't clothe us with Christ's righteousness that we may clothe our bodies in immodest fashions of perverted designers. He doesn't open our eyes that we may inflame our lust with pornography or the media's lustful images. He didn't give us an intelligent mind to be subjected to endless passive entertainment of this world. Young people, do we have enough discernment to realize that the films and music and many video games of this world are simply catechisms from hell? Adulteries, fornications, murders, rebellion, given to lustful passions, doing whatever feels good. All of these over and over and over again. Desensitizing you, darkening your senses, pulling you deeper and deeper into the world and away from God. But on the contrary, our Lord God Almighty says in First Peter one fifteen through sixteen. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, "Be ye holy, for I am holy." Our Lord. Lord God is holy. We should be holy. So how do we become holy? We begin with knowing the character of God. We saw the foundation of the pyramid, the triangle. This is the foundation of obedience. I love Paul Washer's answer to this. How do we become more holy? With a greater comprehension of who God is and what he has done for us. When I am loveless, I need a greater vision of God. When the world pulls at me, I need a greater vision of God. Having a high and reverent view of God will give you a high view of your sin and therefore abhorring it, wanting no part in it, wanting no part of the world and what its idols have to offer, but instead you'll want what God wants and you'll want to do his will. So let me ask you this. I hope you know I'm preaching to myself too. Have you mingled too much in the ways of the world? Do you find yourself continually pulled to it and away from the word of God? Is the joy of your salvation and the love of God stale? Are you truly seeking that all your ways are glorifying the God? Well, no matter what your state, I hope you will find the following helpful. It's wrapping up here with Five, five items. They all ended up being ours for some reason. Five R's. But. Anyway. <clears throat> Recognize and acknowledge who God is. His glorious nature. His worthiness to be served. His majesty. His holiness. This is the basis for our obedience. The more we know God, the more we hate sin. And to do this, you must open the word of God and know it for yourself. Because for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as a division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why we open the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 May I say that relying on one sermon a week alone to know God will not suffice. Two, recognize who you are. which is a sinner that has a wicked heart. Me too. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Matthew 15.19, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. Therefore, we must work hard to keep your heart. You must understand that the heart heart work is hard work. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Do you have issues in your life? It's your heart. We must be in constant, consistent prayer against sin. J.C. Ryle said that neglect of prayer is one great cause of backsliding. And prayer is the surest remedy against the devil and begetting sins. And that sin will never stand firm, which is hardly prayed against. Number three, repent. Confess your sins. Approach Almighty God with a broken and contrite heart. Ask God for cleansing. See in Psalm 51, 1-4 and verse 10. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin, from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. May this be your prayer, our prayer. Number four, renew your mind. Immerse yourself in his word, meditating on his truth. Psalm, I love Psalm 19, 7-10. Says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, giving wisdom unto the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. There would be more desire than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This is God's word. If this is truth, and it is, then we have to ask ourselves, why do we give the Holy Scriptures so little time? Number five. Remove yourself from the world. A.W. Tozer said, Sometimes we need to cut ourselves off from the world so that all we have is God. And this way I always mention my children about is, you know, does does broccoli ever taste good after eating donuts or sugar? No, no. I, I'm not comparing God to broccoli, okay? But, <clears throat> but we understand, just like I mentioned, mentioned before that, When we're we're in the world, we're mingling with the world, it just clouds our view. And we we want that. We want those temporal things. But we have to look to Christ. Our delight must be in the Lord. We cannot and must not share our delight. We must not share our hearts with the world. Let me ask you a question. Is God as personal to you as was with David? Psalm 18, 1 through 2. It says, I will love thee dearly, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and he that delivereth me, my God and my strength, in whom will I trust, my shield, the horn also of my salvation and my refuge. Lastly, you know, consider setting a personal or family goal you know, to cut off part of the world you know, for a week or a month. You know, just an idea. And replace it with reading the scriptures and praying. You know, take the time to think about what is keeping you from fully, fully enjoying God. What is keeping you from getting into his scriptures? Really knowing him. What do you value? Is it TV? Facebook? Video games? Pinterests, gluttony, secular music, clothing, alcohol, sports, desire of money. It could be anything. It depends what you're desiring more than God. So I challenge you to write it down and share it with a friend, you know, or a parent, or relative, or something for accountability. Let us pray. Oh, God, you are sovereign. You're majestic. You are a holy God. Lord, please give us repentful hearts. Help us to not mingle with the world, but to see its destructiveness. Help us to see our hearts for what they are, prideful or weak. Lord, I pray that you give us humility. God, help us to uh, not take the world from Sunday to Sunday, but just that we delve into your scriptures and meditate on your laws. and we not leave here and go through this week and forget. May we not forget, oh God, you protect us, you give us all things we need. Lord, we thank you for the work on the cross again. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And uh, I guess we're going to have a fellowship meal afterwards and I think everyone's familiar